So today is the happiest day of the year for me. And most people have no idea why. Many people who call themselves believers or Christians or followers of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, they don't even realize that there is an, we're in an incredibly significant season. We, they don't realize that we're in the festival of Sukkot right now, also known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. There are festivals in the Bible that God has given us as wedding rehearsals for the, the wedding. Wedding rehearsals to prepare the bride for that wedding date. How interesting is it that when we marry um, in, in our times, you know, we, we find a wife, we find a spouse, whatever, and we marry and then we, it's this huge preparation. Everything needs to be ready. We need to get the custom ready. We need to get everything sorted and organized. It's meticulous. Many go to meticulously um, organize and plan their wedding. But when it comes to our wedding with Jesus, with Yeshua, it's, it's something that we don't, we, we don't really plan for. We don't really rehearse for it. And today, I want to submit to you that the Father has laid out a wedding rehearsal for us. His word contains incredible death and teaching on how to prepare for this wedding day. And it's been given to us as appointed times, moedims, seasons. In Genesis, we read how the father says, I am giving you stars and, and all kinds of lights in the skies when he makes creation. He says, these are for seasons for you. And that word is Moedim and it means appointed times. It doesn't mean winter and summer. No, no, no. It means it means appointed times, celebrations, festivals. If you go directly into the Hebrew and so the father saying, I gave you all these things in the sky to ed educate you on preparation for my wedding day, my festivals, my celebrations. The father furthermore says that these a lot of people think that these are Jewish festivals, but the father never said they're Jewish. He, the word says the father says, no, 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 this these are are my feasts. These are mine. And so now he calls his bride and he says, so I'm giving into you as a wedding gift while I'm away to prepare the home for you. The home, you know, as the father, you know, he prepares a home for us. And he says, so now I'm giving you these. I want you to start preparing. And so now today, brothers and sisters, I want to talk about the feast. In the Bible, we, we read about this festival that everyone that they, they attributed, they say, this is the feast. Everyone, New Testament, Old Testament knew when you walked up to someone and you said it's coming, the feast is coming. Everyone will, everyone will know what you're talking about. You'll be talking about the great festival of Sukkot or the festival of tabernacles. This festival directly talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so it's part of one of the three full feasts of God. We have the festival of trumpets. We have the Day of Atonement, and then we have the Feast of Sukkot or Festival of, of, of Tabernacles. We have the Day of Trumpets falling on the first day of the seventh month, indicated by the moon, the, the sign in the sky that the Father gave us in creation. We that day is a day of, of, of darkness where the, the moon is dark. You, there's no, it's not really giving its light. Then we have the Day of Atonement on the 10th day of that same new moon or month which is what points to the, the judgment. And then after that, five days later, on the, on the 15th of the month, we have the Feast of Tabernacles. 
the Feast of Sukkot. And on this day, it's so amazing because on the first day where it's that gloomy day where, you know, the father, the day of trumpets, you know, it's going to be this blowing of the trumpets where, you know, that trumpet blows and you're either going to be happy. It's a day of gloominess and celebrate and celebration at the same time. It's a day of happiness because he's coming back, but a day of gloominess because he is back and there's no more time for repentance. And so we have that gloomy day with the darkness, the moon covered up. But then 50 on the 15th, where, the, where it's the marriage supper of the Lamb, everything is over. It's a celebration. The, the light is being given. And it's, and it's the light. So we get the word sukkah from the festival of Sukkot. And, and, and I want to talk about what it means. Sukkah means a booth or, or a tabernacle or a covering. So we see this word sukkah or sukkot um, uh, being introduced to us in the Exodus, where the Father instructs them to dwell in booths or temporary dwelling places in the wilderness. As they went through the wilderness, they traveled often. They, they, they were in temporary dwelling places. They weren't in a, a permanent home. And in that place, God was their shelter. God was the one who, who cared for them and provided for all their needs by miraculous miracles from seas splitting, from water coming from rocks, from all kinds of amazing miracles to provide for his people. And he was covering them in that place. And so we also see that on the Mount of Sinai, where the commandments, after the commandments were given, the, the, you know, the, the, it's this day of gloominess and thick darkness. And the, the Israelites, they hear the commandments given and they're like, oh, Father, Lord, Lord uh, we don't want to, Lord God, we don't want to hear you speak, Father, because it's such a fearful thing to hear your voice. You're so, uh, we're so afraid. Even Moses was trembling. And then they said, Moses, you go up there. You speak to God on that mountain. We don't want to hear from him directly. You go up, you receive what you need to receive and you speak on God's behalf for us. And in that moment, they reject the spirit of God. And after that, they, after Moses comes down and receives the instructions of the father, he finds them building a golden calf. And the father starts implementing the, the sacrifices for, for giving them a picture of how serious their sin is. That something needs to die for the sake of their sin. A symbolic thing. And we, see also, we then see the father giving them a tabernacle where his spirit dwells in. A, a, a veil is, there, is being created there where not just everyone can come in. In fact, only once a year at the Day of Atonement, it's only then that the high priest can actually enter the Holy of Holies. And we see years later that, that Yeshua comes, Jesus, God comes in the flesh. He comes for the sins of the world as the atonement, the final atonement, the real, the only atonement, in fact. And he comes and he tears the veil between man and God, that veil of that, of that separation, that wall of separation, that sin. And he comes and he sends a Holy Spirit, a gift as he prepares a home. He, he leaves us this gift that comes and dwells within us. And so we then become this tabernacle of God. The tabernacle is not now not, not, now not a, a play, a certain confinement or, or whatever. That was in fact, never, while it was implemented by God and instructed by God, He is always desired to dwell within His people, in the tabernacles of His people. We as the living sacrifices of God. And so we are the real tabernacle, the real temple. Acts 7 verse 49. 
The heaven is my throne, the earth my footstool. What house shall you build for me, says Yahweh? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised of hearts and ears. You always resist the set-apart spirit, as your fathers did. You also do. Which of the prophets did you, your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who be, before announced the coming of the righteous one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who received the Torah as it was ordained by messengers, but did not watch over it. And so the father speaks about this resisting of the spirit that happened. But now he tore the veil and he enables us to become that tabernacle where the spirit indwells. And so while in the Exodus, they, they, they dwelled in these booths or these tents um, and they and it was this temporary dwelling place. And now we also see this picture of us becoming the tent for the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place, the, the tabernacle for the Holy Spirit to dwell and dwell us. There is still this thing that what we where we are, it's still a temporary thing. This flesh, this this thing we are we're right now, it's not forever. It's still a temporary thing where we actually indwell, where our spirit, our soul indwells. And so we see that that a few days before the festival of Sukkot, we have the Day of Atonement, and this day was all about is all about the afflicting of the flesh, afflicting of this. Spirit flesh that we have that that sins and that keeps us back and so i encourage you to watch that video my video on the day of atonement if you haven't watched that yet to get the full picture of that so the festival of sukkot is a feast of the feast of seven we see that it's the seventh feast amongst all the other feasts it's on the seventh new moon the seventh month and it's also celebrated for seven days this is an incredibly prophetic number and there's an incredibly prophetic meaning behind this number that I want to explain to you guys. We see in Leviticus 23 verse 39, this instruction is given on the 15th day of the seventh new moon or month. When you gather in the fruit of the land, celebrate the festival of Yahweh for seven days. On the first day is a rest and on the eighth day is a rest. He says that this is the festival where you gather the fruit of the land. He then says that this is a festival for seven days. On the first day is a day of rest and then on the eighth day is a day of rest. But I thought this is a seven day feast. Why is there an eighth day now? It's interesting that the father kind of creates a separation here where we see that this is in fact a seven day festival, but there is a separation and then a, another almost another festival on the eighth day, a, 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 a special eighth day. But what does this mean? So we all know the story in the creation where God creates the earth and he creates for for six days. The father labors and creates the, the creation and all that is in it. And on the seventh day, the father rests. We also hear that the, in the, the word scripture states that for the father, a day is as a thousand years. And so we see this picture, seeing this picture where where it's this. 6,000 years, that's what it represents, working and, and things happening. And then we've got a 7,000 year of rest. And it's, it's interesting because that's the picture we also have of the millennium reign of Christ, where, where we have 6,000 years. And, and most people would tell you if, you if you believe in the biblical creation account that the earth is around 6,000 years old. And we're closely coming up to that 7,000th year of of rest. 
And that 7,000 years represent that it represents the millennium reign of Christ where he will come and there will be a rest with him. And we also then see after that, after the millennium, we see that there is a, a new beginning where the new Jerusalem will come down. And we see this new, absolute new place where everything, all things are made new from top to bottom. Every molecule of this world will be as new. God will create a, there will be a new people, a new creation, a new everything. And his bride will be there. And so this festival is a picture of that where the father says, so we have these 7,000 years, the seven day festival. And then he says, but on the eighth day, I want you to rest. Oh, because now it's going to all be over. It's all going to come to a place where the father, we, we read how the father will, will wipe away the tears of his people. Revelation 21 verse 4, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death nor mourning nor crying and there shall be no more pain for the former matters have passed away. And so in this place where the New Jerusalem is coming down, that will be the final destination for all of us. And that's the place that all of us are looking forward to. And it's also the, the, this, the most romantic thing of all. So, so the festival of Sukkot is the most romantic festival of all of them because it, it, it's all about a wedding. It's all about the wedding with the Messiah, the bride and the bridegroom finally uniting and coming together after this, this crazy separate, these thousands of years of separation and, 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 and working towards it and waiting on it. Now, finally, that can be fulfilled in this last day. And that's what this festival is about. The ancient Hebrew wedding is, is, is all, and you, you often see this also being done today in, in, in some weddings where we have this hoopah and hoopah actually comes from sukkah. A hoopah is this, this covering that a bride and a bridegroom actually comes under um, when they do their vows and when the, when, at, at the wedding ceremony. And this is a, the, this hoopah is the same picture of the sukkah. It's this covering of the father. And it's that these vows and this, this covenant between man and woman is made not only between them, but also between them and the father. It's they become one flesh and this one flesh that they become also makes a covenant of promise with the father where they say, we're going to, we're going to do this thing forever. We're going to become one flesh. We're going to serve you forever. We're never going to depart from each other. And they do this under the covering, the hoopah, the sukkah, the tabernacle of God. And, and it's this, this thing of, Lord, we're coming under your covering. We're, Lord, we, we, we trust that you are anointing this and you are protecting this and you will sustain this thing. And that's what that hoopah is about. And so this wedding, these weddings within the, was the most incredible party. And, and in the ancient wedding, in fact, it was a seven day feast. Seven days of, of, of party. In Western society, we, we don't really know how to party. Because uh, they had a seven-day festival. And, and it was this incredible festival. And you know, sometimes we hear, I've heard people say, you know, keep the commandments of God or keeping these festivals of the Father. It's a, it's a burden. You know, oh, it's, it's legalistic to keep the commandments of God. It's legalistic to keep these festivals of God. What we are in fact saying is that 
It's legalistic to rehearse for our wedding date. How crazy is that, brothers and sisters? To say that, oh, it's a legalistic thing. The Father says that these are my feasts. These are my feasts. Just imagine a bridegroom saying, my bride, I'm, I'm, I'm organizing this feast for you. I'm, I'm, we're we're, we're, we're going to rehearse it. But then the bride comes and says, no, I don't want to rehearse that thing because it's a burden. I don't want to rehearse that thing because it's a legalistic thing. Brothers and sisters, love is not legalistic. And if you say that it's legalistic, you are not walking in love. And yes, it is possible to do these things legalistically. Apart from love, apart from missing the entire point, you can go X, Y, Z, and you can try and keep the commandments. But every one of them is given by the Father to us as a love letter to His bride, and we keep them in love. You see, it's not about I need to keep them. It's never been about that for me. It's always been, Lord, I want to keep them. God, I want, I want to rehearse for this wedding. I want to make sure my garment is right. And so, brothers and sisters, that's why we need to get back to the instructions of the Father. And so we also read in Leviticus that, that this is a festival and in a season where you will gather the fruit in your land. So now we have to ask that question, what does fruit have to do with the wedding? I'd like to revisit the story of Yeshua, Jesus, at the wedding. Yeshua was at this wedding and the wine was, was drying up. And his mother told him, Yeshua, Lord Jesus, we need, to, we need to do something about this. We're having this great wedding, this great celebration, the celebration of the year. But the, 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 the wine is, is drying up and it's, I mean, it's, it's a huge issue. What are we going to do about this? And Yeshua says, oh, woman, my time has not come yet. But she, t- she gives him servants and she tells his servants, so whatever he tells you, you go and you do. And he tells his servants to go to these jars that they have there that are empty and fill them with water. And these servants, they're, they're probably like thinking like, what is this about, you know? But they go and they, and they fill these jars with water. And the moment that these jars hit the brim... There is a miracle that happens and they, they ch- it changes into wine. And, and we see that, that this water changes into wine. Just like Yeshua was struck on that cross. Water poured out for him for the world. The servants take that water. The servants of God take that water, that sacrifice. They pour it into the people who are jars. And there is a miracle that happens where these people... Bear good fruit. Wine is fruit, brothers and sisters, and they bear good fruit. And then we see that the, 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 the servants bring the wine to the bride and the bridegroom and, they, and the bridegroom they, and they, they're like the host, you know, of the wedding. They're like, this is the best wine we've ever tasted. You've saved indeed. You've saved the best for last. And so this is exactly what the Father is doing. We are seeing a latter day outpouring where the Father is saving the best for lost. A revival of spirit and truth for lost. The Father has given us a truth thousands of years ago. 
We've rejected the spirit at that point, but the thousands of years ago later, he pours out his spirit again. And, and thousands of years later at the festival of Shavuot, he pours out his spirit at Pentecost. He pours out his spirit. And now he's given us these two elements. He's given us the spirit. He's given us the truth. But at this latter day festival, this is a full festival that's unfulfilled. That's that's not co- that's still coming. He's saying, like, I want to fulfill this festival in you, brother and sister. I have given you spirit and truth. I've given you everything you need now. You have no more excuse to follow me in everything, every cell of your being. Because I, you now come and you take these two things, these two things, these the spirit and this truth, and I want you to come and bring them together for me. Because right now, brothers and sisters, when we look at the body of Christ and believers, we do not have spirit and truth together. We've got spirit on one end, truth on the other. We've got a lot of people in spiritual things and doing the spirit things, rejecting the truth. We've got a lot of people in the truth and the Torah rejecting the spirit. And so now the Father is calling out and he's saying, look, I'm not coming back for you, brother. I'm not coming back until you are ready. I'm not coming back until you have a spotless wedding garment and, I'm, and you are ready for my coming. You need to come and get the spirit in you. You need to start walking in the spirit. Stop rejecting my spirit. And you need to get the Torah in you. You need to start being obedient to the front of my book, the instruction man. You need to stop walking in lawlessness. And so he says, repent now from all of that. And he's calling you into that place of spirit and truth. And so, brother and sister, I encourage you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, to dig in and get on your knees and say, Father, what is this thing you're talking about? Or what is this? Do I have the fullness of your spirit? Do I have the fullness of your truth? Because I know Yeshua did. My bridegroom had it. Lord, and I, me, if, if I'm the bride, Lord, do, do I have that? Do I have the fullness of spirit and truth? Brother and sister, I want to submit to you that most of people even confess and state that they're the bride. They don't have an, an even a close measure of it. And so I encourage you to, to get on your knees, surrender, surrender. They come as a living sacrifice before the Father and say, Lord, I don't know, Lord, I don't know how to get it. Lord, I don't know, Father, I surrender. I give everything up, Lord. I, 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 I died to myself. I died to this world. I died to every. I don't care what people would think about God. I need the fullness of your spirit and truth. And brother and sister, that's a dangerous prayer because the father will answer it and it will cost you everything. Yeshua said, if you're not willing to deny everything and, and pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy. You are not worthy is what he said. Brother and sister, that's a scary word. He says, look, that trumpet's going to blow. And, and if you don't have everything surrendered, I don't care if you keep this or that and this instruction or that instruction. If you're not fully surrendered and on far for God, walking in the spirit and truth, I'm going to come back and you're not going to be worthy. You're not worthy to be my disciple is what he said. If you're not worthy to be his disciple, how much less are you worthy to be his bride? And so I also want to dig in more into this instruction. We also see this very peculiar thing where the father instructs his people in this day to to take all kinds of branches and wave them. Let's read it. Leviticus 23 verse 40. And you shall take for yourself on the first day the fruit of good trees, branches of palm trees, twigs of leafy trees and willows of the stream and shall rejoice before Yahweh your God for seven days. 
Now that's really interesting, and it's and it's quite. He's, he's talking about all these kinds of different trees and branches and things, and he says, "I want you to take them and rejoice with them before the Father in this seven-day festival." So I want us to dig into what these the meaning of these, and you'll see that this is an incredibly profound and beautiful message. So first, we need to understand that, you know, that trees represent people. When Yeshua healed the blind man, he prayed from the first time. The blind man started seeing a little bit. And he says, oh, Lord, I see I see trees as people. That's what he said. So uh, there's already that connection. And we also now and, and, and throughout scripture, we see this, this connection between trees and people. And, and so we see the father saying, take these branches and these trees in your hand and I want you to wave them before people before everyone and we also read in Ezekiel that that the father will bring the house of Israel and the house of Judah together as one stick in his hand and that is actually the real word is actually a tree there and he says that he's going to bring these two houses to the both the two tribes of the south and the ten tribes in the northern kingdom of the house of Israel he's going to bring them together in his hand and they're going to become one in his hand. And so that's what the father is here saying as well. He's saying that this represents us taking these, these branches, these trees in our hands. And, and it's a regathering. It's a regathering of his houses, of his scattered people. And, and if you haven't watched my teaching on scattered and regather, I encourage you to watch that to get the picture, full picture of this. And so he says that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing these two things into my hand. And then he says, I want you to do that. And I want you to wave it. Rejoice before the Father with it. Celebrate it and wave it before the world. So it's not only a celebration of this great revival, a prime awakening of the Father, but also a, a waving of it to the four corners of the earth. And what, what grows on trees? Fruits grows on trees. And we see that there is an etrog, lulav, myrtle, and willow tree um, in this verse. If we go into that, that's kind of what they, the, 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 the different trees that, or, or, or sticks and things that the father was, was speaking about in this verse of Leviticus 23. And there is an incredibly amazing symbolic meaning to each of these that I want you to see. The etrog... It represents the heart and you see it's kind of this fruit comes on, on this on these branches and it represents the heart and it's simply and it represents this place not only of us as trees carrying our fruit and, and displaying our fruit to the people but also that this is it's our heart you know the the fruit that we carry comes from the heart you cannot it's not about a intellectual one two three step one two three and now we have good fruit it has to come from the heart you need to for example keep the sabbath day holy from your heart you need to keep the festivals of god from your heart you need to love your neighbor from your heart you need to do all these things from your heart you can't love your neighbor simply like it's it's me if if if, if someone tells you love your neighbor and there's simply this thing that you try and do out of your flesh, you're going to struggle. But if it's this place where you're like, oh, Father, Lord, I love you so much, God. You're so holy. You're so righteous. You're so set apart, Lord. And I want to walk just like your son, God. And because you love me and you laid everything down for me, Father, I'm going to do this because I love you. I'm going to do the same for my neighbor. And that's how we love our neighbor, realizing that sacrifice and extending that to our neighbor. And so that's why this on this branch, that's this etrog fruit, and that's what it represents. And that can only come from the Spirit. 
You can't do that without the spirit. The spirit was given for us. You know how that is in you. And he says that it's my spirit that enables that in you. So we also have the lulav, which is the palm tree. And more specifically, the branch of the palm tree, which is this this very solid thing, this really solid foundation that carries the tree. And and also in us and in the human body, we have a spine, which is which is our our branch, uh, if if you will, uh, the the very thing that carries us and keeps us upright. And, And it's also our foundation. And it represents the truth. Well, while the Etrog fruit and all that, it represents the spirit and the heart. The Lulav, the palm tree branch, represents the truth. And how Yeshua says, I need you, just like he said, I need you to build your house on a solid foundation. He, we, that foundation is us, is, our, is in our spine. That's, it keeps us upright and it directs us. And, but also, it's the very thing that, by which we, we get paralyzed. If someone gets in an accident, and they just hurt their back a little bit. Oh, man. like it, it, it can paralyze the entire body. And so in the same way, if you don't know the truth, brother and sister, you can you can have the spirit, you can have the heart, you can love people, you can do all these things. Oh, wow. But if you don't have the actual truth, you're going to hear one day, I never knew you depart from me. You work in lawlessness. Because we know that the, the law is truth. The law is spiritual, as Paul said. And the Torah is his truth. We also read in the word the Torah. Oh, your righteousness is righteousness forever. And your Torah is truth. That's what the Bible says the definition of truth is. You can give it whatever definition you want. But that's what the Bible says it is. And so the Father says, yeah, you can have the spirit. And you can have that. If you don't have the truth, brother, sister, you're going to be misdirected. And you can walk in lawlessness. And you can even justify that and say, oh, it's the spirit that guides me into that. The father's not looking for someone just in the spirit or someone just in the truth means of things. He's looking for someone in both because that's what Yeshua was. He knew and walked out the Torah and the prophets and he walked out. He had the fullness of spirit dwelling in him and all the miracles and the love flowed from that. And it enabled him to keep the truth. But in that same way, he now calls us to walk as I walk. Yeshua says, walk as I walk. Stop making excuses. Stop saying it's abolished. I tell you, no one jot or tittle will be abolished from all the Torah, the prophets, and everything of my walk, everything that I am. None of me will be abolished. I am the walking word. I'm the walking truth. And nothing of me will be abolished until heaven and earth is abolished. And brother and sister, heaven and earth has not passed away yet. And we cannot declare that one jot or tittle has passed away from his truth. And so he says, now stop making excuses. You walk as I walk. If you make excuses, you're going to end up making an excuse at the great great white throne judgment right before him. And you will not even have the guts at that point to make any more excuses. Excuses will be over. It will be too late. You can no longer say, oh, father, my pastor didn't tell me. Brother and sister, the same Bible in my hand is the same Bible in yours. The same truth in my hands, the same truth in yours. The same spirit in me is the same spirit in you. He's given us all the both the same thing. But the thing that's going to set us apart is our heart and our, our, our willingness to learn and study his truth, uh, study our self-approved. In Isaiah, we read that his people have been destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And now the father says, I'm giving you teachers to teach you the knowledge, the truth. And will you now hear them or will you crucify and, and, and kill them yet again? Will you yet again persecute my prophets is what he said. 
The myrtle tree, the other one that's there is it, it, it looks like a, you'll see it looks like an eye actually. And the father and that represents our eyes. And it's it's not only our, 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 our heart and our spine, but our eyes. What not only the spirit and the truth, but but what we look at, what we look at enters into the heart. It's all connected, enters into the heart and it, and it, and it can either defile or, 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 or create purity within the heart, whatever we look at, whether that's looking at the word of God or looking at something as disgusting as a pornography or, or something as, as, as television or, or other things that can pollute the soul. And so the, the heart is what the, it, it, we, it comes into our eyes, it goes into our heart and then into our spine and, into our, and soon into our spine and into our body. And then what happens is it comes out of our mouth where the heart is full of the mouth runs over from and the willow and tree. In fact, the last one is the lips. So we see this whole thing here where uh, the, the, it, it comes in and it, and, it, and it goes into our eyes. It comes into our heart and soon it settles into our spine and our foundation. And, and, it, and it comes and it, it flows out of our, our mouth. And, 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 you know, it's that time of pressure. You know, when we in this time of it's, it's this festival of the fruits, when fruits are cr- fruits are crushed. You know, there's you have to be crushed to bear good fruit. You know, it's like when we're crushed, if you're crushed as a fruit, what comes out of you? Is it is it Yeshua that comes out of you or is it something else? You know, you can't have a bitter water spring bring forth salt water or vice versa. You need if, if you get crushed, if you if that guy cuts you off in traffic and you swear and you brother and sister, if someone is makes you angry, what comes out? That's that's that that's what's in you. You know, that's that's the deafness of you. If you get crushed, all that needs to come out is Yeshua, is Jesus. And if that's not what comes out of you, there's something else within you. And 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 I'm not we all we all get angry and all that and in times of pressure, we all get frustrated. But what comes out? What is the reaction that you have towards that? What is the fruit that you will be displaying to the nations, the pagans around you? When you are waved, when the father waves you before the nations and he waves these, all these branches represents all of what you are, your mouth, your heart, your, your everything. What, what is gonna, what is, what are they going to see? Psalm 118 is, is traditionally read around this festival. And, and Psalm 118 is all about the festival of Sukkot. It's, it's an incredibly beautiful love letter from, from the bridegroom, from, from him to his bride. And I would like to read it to you. It's in Psalm 118. We also find the middle verse in the Bible, actually. And um, we're going to come up to that now and I'm going to show it to you. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good because his loving commitment is everlasting. Let Israel now say his loving commitment is everlasting. Let the house of Aaron now say his loving commitment is everlasting. Let those who fear Yahweh, his loving commitment is everlasting. Amen. Hallelujah. I called on Yah in distress. Yah answered me in a broad place. Yahweh is on my side. I do not fear what man does to me. Yahweh is for me among those helping me. Therefore, I look on those hating me. And this is the middle verse. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in man. It is better to to take refuge refuge cover under him um, have him as our cover than to do that under a covering of man
And he goes on and he says, it's better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me in the name of Yahweh. I shall cut them off. All the nations surrounded me. Just like we, we read how this is this wave is this is being waved. We're round, we're waved before the nations. The, the, we're waved before them and they even surround us. But while they're surrounding us, how will we react? Will we show them our good fruit? Will we be a, a demonstration of good fruit to them? Or, or, and, and hope that the kindness of God will draw them in? Or will we simply bear bad fruit? See, brother and sister, it's, the Father cuts them off from you. If the Father takes off the, those who hate us, he, he, he protects us. He, he hides us from our enemies. But He still requires us to turn the other cheek. He still requires us to love them and to bear incredibly good fruit as an example, so that all may come to repentance. The voice of rejoicing and salvation, Yeshua, is in the tents of the righteous. In the tents of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh is doing mightily. The right hand of Yahweh is exalted. The right hand of Yahweh acts mightily. Let me not die but live, but declare the works of Yah. Yah has punished or disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. We know that the day of atonement is a day of fasting, afflicting our soul, where God disciplines us gets and helps us to, in that festival, the Father gets our hearts in order. This is what the psalmist is speaking about. Open me to me the gates of the righteousness. I enter through them. I thank you. This is the gate of Yahweh. The righteous will enter through it. I thank you for you have answered me and become my deliverance. And so we see that the Father continuously says that he is our covering. He is our deliverance. And he says that it, that, the, that Yahweh dwells in the tents of the righteous. And this is actually an instruction where Father instructs us to to set up tabernacles for ourselves in Leviticus. He sees just like in the Exodus where they were in temporary dwelling places and a picture of how we are temporary. This is only a temporary place. There's, there's an eternity coming up. We need to prepare for. And he, he instructs us to keep this festival by dwelling, changing our scenery from our permanent dwellings and permanent all that and, and, and put, uh, getting in a temporary dwelling place to rem as a remembrance of this thing and so for me for on a personal level you know i will be going to camp with with our fellowship and we're going to go into a place and we're going to set up camp and we're going to fellowship and we're going to teach and we're going to learn and we're going to oh it's a marvelous place when he says that in that tent in that place my spirit follows you. I'm going to be with you. We also see on the mountain of transfiguration, something very interesting happening in terms of this festival. Matthew 17 verse 3. And see Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And Peter answering said to Yeshua, Master, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, let us make here three booths. One for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he's still speaking, see a bright cloud overshadowed them and see a voice come out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my beloved, their beloved, in which I did delight. Hear him. And so it's it's incredibly amazing. Like they like Peter, he sees all this, he sees Moses and Elijah and Yeshua and all this all of them together, and he's like so shocked and he's like, uh, uh Lord, show can we can we make three booths for you? You know, can we make three tabernacles for you? And so we need to ask the question. 
at what time was this happening? At what point was the Mount of Transfiguration transpiring for Peter to say something like that? He wasn't, it wasn't just this random thought of whatever, you know, no, he understood there is something significant happening because he knew it's the festival of Sukkot because he was keeping it with his Messiah. He, he, they've been keeping all the festivals. They know about it. They've been keeping the instructions of the father. For not doing so is, is disobedience to the instruction. And so he they're keeping it and he's seeing this all this happening for him. And he's like, there must be something significant about this. And he comes and he says, Lord, should, should we do this? And, 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 and this voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son and, and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This confirmation of God over the life of Yeshua for everyone. And we see that this is almost as an ordination Feast where there are these witnesses. We see that Moses and Elijah as the witnesses of spirit and truth there. And they come and God ordains Yeshua for the ministry of a high priest of Melchizedek. And this happens at the festival of Sukkot. So in Leviticus 23, we are given the command and he says, And you shall celebrate as a festival to Yahweh for seven days in the year, a law forever in your generations. Celebrate in the seventh new moon or seventh month, indicated by God's calendar. Dwell in booths for seven, or sukkahs for seven days. All who are native born Israel dwell in booths. So that your generations know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am Yahweh your God. And so this is the instruction that the disciples and Peter knew. That's why he said that, Lord, shall I make a booth for you guys? Because he knows it's, it's, it's on the day. They're all here. And there's an instructions around and around dwelling in booths. He also says that this is for the native born of Israel. Now, that's interesting because um, I, know, I, know, I know a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's for Israel. See, we're not Israel. So, you know, we don't need to do that anymore. But we fail to understand that the new covenant, according to Jeremiah 31, verse 31, was I made out only, listen to me, only to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The ten tribes in the north and the house of Israel and the two tribes in the south, the, the house of Judah, also known as the Jewish people today. The Jewish people are not all of Israel, brother and sister. There is a ten other tribes that are not uh, under the identity of the Jewish people. If you've never heard this before, I encourage you to watch my teaching on scattered and regathered to better understand this. The point of the matter is, is that there, the new covenant is not made out to anyone else except for those who consider themselves as Israel or grafted into Israel, as Paul said in Romans, where we become part of the olive tree. So this is an instruction for God's people. Everyone who calls on his name becomes grafted in and all everyone who calls on his name follows his instructions. He didn't give some instructions for some people, some instructions for others. The definition of sin is not for one people or for another. Sin is sin. Evil is evil. Lawlessness is lawlessness. Disobedience to instructions is lawlessness. In 1 John 3 verse 4, we read how the disobedience to the instructions of God is lawlessness. The transgression of the law is what sin is. So that cannot change, right? So this is not something for someone, this or that group. This is for everyone who just says, I want to follow God. If you do not identify as a people who follow God or part of the people who follows Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, then you don't need to follow it. But if you do identify as his people, you automatically identify as Israel and get grafted into Israel.
And so that this is why this festival is not only for a Jew, it's not Jewish at all. It's only known as Jewish because the, the house of Israel has lost their identity. The, 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 the ten tribes of the north have been scattered and lost their identity. But so now Father is, as I mentioned before, bringing these sticks together and he's waving it before the nations and he's gathering his people back to his instructions. And it's so amazing. I want to drive this point further because this festival is something that God says will be kept even in the millennium. Even after Yeshua is, is coming back, he, he says that there's going to be an observance of this festival. We read about this in Zechariah 14 verse 16. And it shall be that all who are left from all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to bow themselves to the sovereign Yahweh of hosts and to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. And it shall be that if any one of the clans of the earth does not come up to Jerusalem to bow himself to the sovereign Yahweh of hosts, on them there shall be no rain. And if the clan of Egypt does not come up and enter, and there shall be no rain. On them there is the plague with which Yahweh plagues the nations who do not come up to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. This is the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations do not come to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. So we read that all who are left after the great tribulation and all these things, everyone who are left will come up and serve God, come up and bow before him, bow before Yahweh of hosts. And they will come and to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. He goes on and he says that all those who do not, there will be a curse. There will be a, there will be no rain on their, on their land. And he, he connects this with Egypt and he says Egypt and all the nations who do not come in. We all know that Egypt throughout the Exodus and all that is a picture and a, 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 a word picture of the world and the enemy and those who hate God, those who rebel against God, Pharaoh and so forth. And so he's saying that, listen, you can go and you can depart and you can say, oh, I don't need to celebrate the festival anymore. It's been abolished or whatever. You can say, I don't need to do it in this time. But one day you will need to celebrate it. If you want to be my people, if you you want to serve me, you will come and you will come and bow down before me and come every year into Jerusalem in the millennium after all this is done, after I've destroyed many people and I've declared and I've shown the world who I am, then you will come and you will bow down before me for this festival of Sukkot. So brother and sister, whether you like it or not, you're going to need to do it. So why don't we start rehearsing? Why don't we start coming before him now, preparing for that? How embarrassing will it be for many who've been teaching that this is inapplicable to our lives and, and abolished? And, and one day they will, they will be forced and the Father will say, No, everyone, you, they will hear it from the Father's mouth. Well, they've been rejecting the prophets and the teachers the Father has sent to declare it. They will then hear it from the Father's mouth to come before Him to, festival of the fest, to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. And so, brother and sister, this festival is the most beautiful thing because while it was given, Father started giving it even in the Exodus with, with, in the, well, while they were dwelling in tents and, and all that and started instructing His people to, to observe that. And, and once you go and dwell in tents to, to remember how He cared for them and how He's their covering. All along, Yeshua has been the point. God, Yeshua, Jesus Christ has always been the point of Sukkot. He is Sukkot. He is the Sukkot. He is the Hupa. He is the covering for us. He is it. That points to the second coming of the Messiah, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and we read in John where he says, He became flesh and pitched his tent among us. 
and we saw his esteem, esteem as of an, an only brought forth of a father, complete in favor and truth. That's one John 1, 14. And he says that he's pitched his tent before us. So the Messiah is saying, brother, sister, my bride, I'm coming before you. I'm pitching my tent here. My tent is pitched. Will you pitch yours? Will you come and join me in this festival? Because, brother and sister, God is rehearsing. He's, he, the, the bridegroom is pitching up for the wedding rehearsal. He's going to pitch up whether his bride pitches up or not. Because he loves his bride. And so I want to submit to you that the bridegroom has been pitching up for years. And much of his bride have not been pitching up. Much of his bride have been busy with other things. Or have not even known that they should be pitching up. And brother and sister, I'm declaring you to you today. Start pitching up for that wedding rehearsal. Start, pitch, start pitching up. God is pitching his tent. Will you pitch your tent with him? Will you go and, and make a temporary dwelling place for days with him and, and, and commemorate this festival with him? It's the most beautiful thing and, and I believe it will encourage you. It will, it will drive you closer to Him. I've, I've seen so many testimonies, including my life, of people when they started, they started keeping the festivals. They've said, you know what, I always read that, that part where God says to build our house on the rock. But until I've kept the festivals, I never understood what that meant. Because now I'm, I finally feel it under my feet. I finally feel the rock under my feet of, of keeping his festivals because that is what it's all about. He is the rock. He is the cornerstone as we read in Psalm 118. He is the chief cornerstone. And if we keep this festival, join him in this festival, we, we come and we come and stand on this stone. We come and stand on the stability. Our, our foundation is our spine get, receives the truth and we're in this and our heart and everything comes together and we have a foundation. We can walk uprightly in righteousness and in truth with the Father. And we can be walk in confidence as a bride ought to walk in confidence. And one day at that wedding date, we will be rehearsed and we won't be unsure of how to, this day is going to go. We're going to walk into that place as a bride walking towards her husband. And we're going to walk in there with complete confidence that the husband is accepting the bride. That the husband looks out unto us with an eye of acceptance, with a, with a tear and with, with love. And so that's why we need to prepare for that way. We need to make sure that, that they, that's what it's going to look like for each of us individually. Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, See, the booth of God is with men. And he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain. For the former matters have passed away. There will no longer be tears of sadness, but tears of joy. And he who was sitting on the throne said, See, I'm making all matters new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and trustworthy. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Allah from the top, the beginning and the end. To the one who thirsts, I should give the foundation of the water of life without payment. 
As he was struck on that cross, water came pouring out. And he's saying, this is the water. This is a festival of water, the water libation festival. It's a, a festival where my water is poured out. And I will give you what you've been searching for. Brother and sister, if you, even if you've been growing up in a church and you've been, you've been following him, but you're still thirsty, there's something still within us. You, There's something still that says, oh, there's, there needs to be something more. There needs to be something I'm missing. This is it. It's this thing where he says these festivals there where he says I'm camping with you the booth of God is with men most people would read that have no idea what that means but he's saying I'm I'm camping with you I'm coming and showing up my pitching up my tent with you and he says in John 7 verse 38 as the scripture said out of his innermost shall flow rivers of living water and this he said concerning the spirit which does believing in him we're about to receive for the set apart spirit was not yet given because Yeshua was not yet esteemed. And so brother and sister, he has now given us everything we need. He has poured out his spirit on all flesh. He has given us his truth on Mount Sinai. The first time he gave his truth on the festival of Shavuot on Mount Sinai. The second time he gave it on the festival of Shavuot as well at Pentecost. And now he's saying, I've given you both. What will you do with it, my bride? Will you trample on one or the other? Will you or will you walk as I walk? Will you walk in the fullness of what I walked? So guys, I hope this blessed and encouraged you. This is this is this is God's festival. It's the great festival. And if you haven't, if you missed it this year, you haven't celebrated this year, I encourage you to go for an, and start preparing for next year. Go and, and, and the Father has so much grace for us and in our in our in our in our not lack of knowledge in this age. He's and he's now revealing all these things with a goal of bringing his bride back to his instructions. You, we can be happy that he didn't come back on the 23rd or whenever it was of the September, in the 24th, whatever it was of September. We could be happy he didn't come back because we are not ready. And so now the Father is saying, I'm making ready. And he's already starting to blow trumpets in the spirit. He's already starting to call his people. He's already starting to show us great signs in the heavens. And now is the time to wake up to these things. So will you wake up or will you fall asleep so that this day may overtake you as a thief in the night? Because in Thessalonians we read that the, the, the day will only overtake those as a thief in the night who are living in darkness. But those who are walking in the light know the appointed times. will not be. This day will not overtake as a thief in the night for they will know the season. Father God, I just thank you, Yeshua, that you, what you have done for us. Lord Yahweh, I pray for an outpouring of spirit and truth on your people. Father, I thank you, Lord, for a baptism of Holy Spirit and a fire over your people, over everyone listening to this, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for a baptism, not only in, in terms of spirit, Lord, but in truth, that, that, that your truth would come as well and awaken their souls, Lord, with an, uh, an, a prime awakening, Lord, where, where they would come back to their identity, Father, and walk in the fullness just like Yeshua Jesus walked, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you died for us. I thank you, Lord, for your for this wedding rehearsal, Lord. I thank you for this wedding day, Lord. And I'm so happy, God, for this day because I know that one of these days, this festival, in a few years, Lord, this festival is going to be the day where the bride is going to be, be, the wedding day is going to happen, Lord. And so, Father, Lord, I look, we look so forward to that, Father, but Father, prepare us for it, Lord. 
Oh God, seek our heart, search our heart, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to prepare for it, Father. Our prayer all is in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Father, I also just pray for healing right now, Lord. For your people who have emotional sickness or any pain, God. I declare healing right now, Father. Every single pain and iniquity, everything and none of them, Father. I declare the blood of Yeshua over them and declare forgiveness over them. I thank you, Lord, that, that after the festival of Sukkot, Lord, that this is a, a day of new beginnings, Lord. The eighth day, Lord. The day of rest, Lord, where, where it's a new beginning. All things are made new. And so this is also symbolic, Father, when we're, we're coming up to this eighth day of rest, Father. And Lord, you are making all things new, God. It's a new day, Lord. And Father, help us to enter this new year and this new day, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua and Messiah. Lord God, thank you so much for sticking through with me. I hope this blessed and encouraged you. May God bless you and keep you. Shine his face upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you. Give you rest and shalom. And I'll see you guys in the next video.